Thank you. Let's take God's word together, please, and turn to the New Testament book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 6, if you would. Matthew chapter 6. And we'll read together just a few verses this evening and then take our message tonight. I do not want to linger you too long, but I do have a message. I believe it's from the Lord. I hope will encourage you and challenge you at the same time. Matthew 6, beginning in verse number 19. This is in the middle of our Savior's uh, most famous Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse number 19. Just a quick thought this evening that I trust will be used of the Lord to help us. Matthew 6, beginning in verse 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. May the Lord bless the reading and hearing of his word tonight. Let's just bow once again in prayer and ask him to help us. Father, we commit this time now to thee, the time where we open thy word and we expect God to hear from thee. We pray this evening that it would please thee to meet with thy people here, that this word would be a word that we need, a word that would minister to every heart and every every mind tonight. We give ourselves to thee and commit this time to thee now in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Two words that sort of stick out in my mind are mentioned there in verse 21, your treasure. Would you look this way for a moment? I wonder, where is your treasure? What do you value the most in life? If I were to sit down with each one of you this evening and ask you, what is the most valuable thing the most valuable thing that you have, that you possess, what would you say? What is it that you think has the greatest worth in your life? This is exactly what Christ is speaking about. J.C. Ryle in his commentary uh, speaks of how uh, Jesus breaks in the middle of his sermon to deal with the problem of worldliness amongst the believers. I believe it goes more deeper than just that, but that's certainly one of the one of the key ideas here, he begins to deal with this idea that you and I have got to stop and consider what is really important in life. And Jesus uses a certain phraseology here. He says, lay not up for your treasures upon earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. He refers really to the location of your treasure. It's very interesting because where you store your treasure is an indication of what your treasure is. Because the most valuable things in life can never be put in a safe at a bank. The most precious things in life cannot be put behind a door, behind lock and key, or in a safe. The most valuable things in life actually can never, can never be handled, can never really be touched. And the Lord deals with this because the location 
of your treasure often reveals what your treasure is. I've been thinking a lot about this recently. I, I spoke with the students today and I spoke with a, a friend recently about this, but I'm asking God this last week or so, I've been asking God to help me to love him more than I have ever loved any single human being. I do not believe that I've loved the Lord that way. I do not believe I've loved God more than I have loved people. I want to though. I'm asking him to help me. Have you ever been in love? Think about it for a second. Have you ever really been in love? The feelings that come, the fluttering in your stomach, the googly eyes that you might get for the one that you're in love with, the way your mind is totally hijacked by the person that you are enamored with. I want to feel that way about Jesus Christ. I really want to have that kind of affection and love for the Savior. And I believe that's exactly where Christ is trying to push us to in this portion. Because what you value the most, what you treasure the most, Mrs. Tomlinson went home to be with the Lord on Sunday and one of her sayings that I will never forget, she used to kiss my children and she would say about them, he's a treasure or she's a treasure. And that just is playing in my mind, thinking of Mrs. Tomlinson, one of my memories of her. And uh, that's, a, that's a good thought. Where, who you love is your treasure. This is more than just cars, Jaguars or or whatever else it may be. This is more than bank accounts. This is about where your affection lies. That's what this is. And it's interesting because the Lord almost breaks up the possibility of earthly treasures into three categories. He says, don't lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth or rust or thieves break through. So really you get a visual picture of the kind of treasures that people often lean towards or tend to put their affection upon. The kind of treasures that moth, a moth can destroy. Well, that's garments, clothing, tapestries. And there are some people who are totally infatuated with having the latest clothing. They've got to have the best of the best. And I was encouraged. There was a, I was speaking with a dear lady uh, recently and she said to me, I am, I, I love coming to uh, the field to worship because uh, the place I previously worshipped, it was constantly a fashion competition. Where I used to worship, it was all about who had the nicest shoes or the nicest handbag or the fanciest hat. or It was a fashion competition. And uh, that tends to be one of the ways people display or find their affection. Not just that, but we're told, uh, don't lay up for your... Uh, yourselves treasures where moth can corrupt, but also where rust does. I got to thinking about this earlier today. They didn't have cars when this was written. And so I really was having a hard time trying to imagine and visualize the kind of metal objects that were in the days of our Lord and Savior that were, uh, that were captured the affection and the attention of others. But without a doubt, it had to do with personal possessions, no different than our cars do today. No different than the personal possessions that, that we have today. That so many people uh, put their affections or their 
treasure they refer to as their treasure. And then the other thing that the Lord Jesus speaks about is anything that can be stolen. That just about takes care of anything else, doesn't it? First thing that comes to mind when you're thinking about something being stolen is money, of course. But not just money. Have you ever had your heart stolen or someone that you love taken from you? Maybe even by death, someone that you love taken from you. The thief of death perhaps has robbed you of someone that was very near or dear to you. And so what we have in this is the Lord Jesus very concisely summing up all the potential treasures that may steal your affection from him. The other alternative to laying up treasures on earth is laying up treasure in heaven. Now, the last time I checked, there aren't too many options there. In fact, the very central figure of heaven is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so every time we imagine heaven, we're not thinking of, of mansions of gold. Pardon me, that's what many people think. Oh, Jesus means you got to work on, don't build your mansion here, build your mansion in heaven. Wrong. That's not what he's saying. Sorry to burst your bubble. It's not talking about building your mansion in heaven. Otherwise, your, your thinking is no different than building a mansion here. It's still very selfishly minded. It's not about getting crowns in heaven. That's what some people think. Oh, I can't wait to get crowns. As if you're going to parade around for the rest of eternity with five or six crowns leaning off the top of your head. Wrong. If I remind you, if you and I ever get a crown when we get to heaven, you will be so eager to get it out of your hands and at the feet of Jesus that nobody will ever even know you had one. Because you'll know that the only one who deserves a crown is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. If you ever get one, it won't be for you to parade around for eternity for people to look at you and say, my, look at those crowns. It'll be so you can quickly offer it back to the one who deserves it all. So I believe the greatest thing, what Christ is pushing us towards tonight is that our treasure would really and truly be found in Christ. Our affection, our love, that what we live for. If you're not careful, you start living for earthly treasures to get more. Now, one of the previous theologians identified these three earthly treasures in this way. Treasures of court, treasures of camp, and treasures of the counting house. And that's what Mr. Ruskin said. Treasures of court, those tapestries and fine linens like your king. Like the rich man in Lazarus who dressed himself in purple and fine linen. Or the treasures of camp, those things that belong to your property and that give you some sort of recognition amongst, amongst your fellow citizens. And of course, the treasures of the counting house, your bank account. And uh, it's interesting, uh, the Lord Jesus defines worth by its ability to survive a burglary. Think about that for a moment with me. If everything you own tonight, if everything that you value tonight, if a thief came by your house and stole everything of any value, would you have anything left? Some of you have read Pilgrim's Progress written by Mr. Bunyan. 
He spoke of a fellow called Little Faith. He was minding his own business one day, walking down the dead man's lane where he was assaulted and robbed. And when Little Faith woke up after his battery and robbery, he discovered that all of his spending money had been stolen. He was almost in despair until he discovered that the most valuable thing had never been touched. The place where his jewels were, that's what Bunyan writes, they were never ransacked. So those he kept still. Still. Would you look this way for a moment? The most valuable things in life can never be taken away from you. Never. The things that are of eternal worth and value can never be stolen. Not by moth or rust, not by thief, not by death. Because the truth of the matter is, even if that thief of death comes to steal someone you love, their soul is what is valuable. Not their physical body. In fact, they haven't stolen anything. Even the physical body is going to be uh, risen one day in a glorified form. So even that can't be taken away. That soul that is so dear to you. Even that can't be. What's the difference between finding, losing your spending money and keeping your jewels? That's what we need to figure out. Determining what really matters in life and what does not. Somebody once wrote and said that the thieves always leave the best things behind. They can't help it. They can't steal the best. A thief can never steal that which is best. I was told, I read many years ago about a Welsh miner who was converted during the 1904 Welsh revival. He was previously, previously known for his very foul language. He was a wicked man. The big strapping miner. But when God saved him, everything changed. Everything changed. In fact, he had become so annoyingly happy that his co-workers wanted to do something about it. Every trial and difficulty that he faced, he could meet with a smile and some homespun blessing that he would put on it as well. And it really annoyed his old mates. And finally they said, we'll get him. I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll steal his dinner. That's enough to make any happy man upset if you steal his dinner. Sure enough, came dinner time after a long day of working in the mine. And, and there that gentleman went to look for his dinner and couldn't find it. And he soon sussed out that he'd been robbed. But his response left his friends even more annoyed. Here's his response. Praise the Lord. I've still got my appetite. They can't steal that. Because the greatest things in life can't be taken. You can't take them. Now, there are some real thieves, some real desperados in this world, and they will steal. Steal. Satan has come to steal, kill, and to destroy. But let me encourage you tonight that Satan cannot steal that which is most valuable. He cannot kill that which is most valuable, and he can never destroy the most valuable things in life. In fact, what he means for evil often turns around for good. What he thinks by wrecking Patty's green, emerald green jaguar, God can turn around for good. What he thinks, what he means to do for evil and 
and burning a house down or, or, or ripping a loved one from your grips because of illness or death. What he thinks is being done for evil, God is doing for good. It's an amazing concept. My wife and I, I think it's 14 years ago now. We've been married two months. We were married in August of 2008. In October of 2008, we'd only been married, living together for two months. Um, and we'd gone to church for a week of meetings at our local church in Tennessee. It was the annual missions conference. We'd been praying and seeking the Lord about, about surrendering our lives to the mission field. And we believed that God was leading us to England. We believed it. We'd been praying about it. That night, God confirmed it in our hearts. And we stood before that great congregation and Powell, Tennessee, publicly declared we were surrendering to go to the mission field. We were over the moon, filled with joy, filled with excitement, talking about it on the way home. We had about a 35-minute drive from the church to the way home. and So excited. We pulled up the, the country lane and up the driveway to the place where we were renting and got out, and we were so excited. And we approached the front door, took my keys out, and I recognized, hold on, the front door was open. I said, honey, you left the door open. She said, I didn't leave it open. You left it open. No problem. We walked inside the door and there were papers everywhere. It must have been a big storm or something. It blew the front door open and blew the papers all over. But the more we looked and the further we walked, we began to realize it wasn't a storm that came in, but rather thieves. They'd robbed us of everything, which wasn't much, of everything of any worth or value at all. Both of our laptops have been taken. My laptop where I was currently uh, studying, doing my master's degree at the seminary there that was stolen, all of my work gone. Our cameras, video cameras and still cameras that we had had all of our honeymoon photographs and videos. To this day, we do not have one single photograph from our honeymoon, all stolen. The necklace that I had saved up for my, for my wife when we were engaged, I was told you need to buy uh, your, your wife a gift on the wedding day. That was tradition, I was told, and she was meant to get me a gift. I was meant to get her a gift. She got me a coffee and Reese's cups. And um, I got her a $1,000 diamond necklace. But that's okay. She knows my heart. I appreciated the coffee and the chocolate. But uh, there that was. That gift I bought her, gone. Everything of any value, gone. But you know what? We had the most amazing peace that night. Because we knew that God had called us. And to us, everything being stolen from us was confirmation that we were making the right decision. There's less to pack when we had to leave. And sometimes what Satan means for evil, God can mean for good. Paul, or the author of Hebrews, we don't know it to be Paul, but the author of Hebrews writes in chapter 10, let me read for you a verse there. Uh, chapter 10 and verse number, beginning in verse number 32. But call to remembrance the former days in which after ye were illuminated, ye endured a great fight of afflictions. Now, the author is saying, look, I want you to remember, not long after you were saved, you went through a great fight, great battles. And he goes on. Partly whilst you were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst ye became companions of them that were so used. For ye had compassion of me in my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods. 
knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. The only way you'll ever be able to smile in the face of a burglary, the only way you'll be able to tip your hat as the thieves run off with the most valuable earthly possessions you have is if you know that you have a greater inheritance in heaven that they can never touch. Even as you prepare to bid farewell to the ones you love the most, you can know that the body may be taken, but the soul is only going with the rest of your treasure. And it isn't lost, but you shall see it again. That which is most valuable will never be lost. It cannot be lost. Peter tells us we've been looking at one Peter quite some time, but Peter writes in his first letter, in his first chapter, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again, been born again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now watch this, verse 4. We've been born again unto a lively hope to an inheritance incorruptible. I believe that Peter was thinking about those words. He was there when Jesus preached Matthew chapter 6. I believe Jesus was thinking about that when he penned these words. We have an inheritance that can never be corrupted. Never. Your clothes may be eaten off of your back by moths. The bottom foot footwell of your car may fall out because of rust. But the inheritance we have in Jesus Christ can never, ever, ever be corrupted. Amen. Never. It's not only incorruptible, but the scriptures tell us as well. Look at it there in verse number four. It's undefiled. It cannot be defiled. It cannot be defiled. You can't be tainted. It can't be darkened. It can't be soiled. You ever done something stupid? Let's have a little survey. Anybody ever done something stupid? That's what I thought. The rest of you are lying if not raising your hand. Johnny put two hands up. Thank you. We've all done that. And sometimes that soils your reputation or your testimony or your own conscience. But what we have in Christ can never be soiled. Can never be defiled. Can never be broken down. It's incorruptible. It's undefiled. And it will never, never, never fade away. Never. Paul knew about what it was to be robbed, the Apostle Paul. He tells us a little bit about his experiences in 2, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 23. You may be acquainted. He says, look, uh, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I, I am more in labors more abundantly in stripes above measure. Paul was so robbed that he had the flesh taken off the back of his back, off of his back. In stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, many had his freedom stolen from him. In deaths often, he had life stolen from him. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I've been in the deep. 
and journeyings often and perils of water and perils of robbers and perils of my own countrymen and perils by the heathen and perils in the city and perils in the wilderness and perils in the sea and perils among false brethren and weariness and painfulness and watchings often and hunger and thirst and fastings often and cold and nakedness. And beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care, the burden of all the churches. There's a man who knew what it was to be robbed of everything. His freedom, his health, his family, his friends, his comfort. Everything was taken from him. Not everything. Not everything. Because there's some things that cannot be taken. Some things. So back to that little illustration about Mr. Little Faith and Pilgrim's Progress who still held on to his jewels, although his spending money was gone. Have you any jewels this evening that cannot be touched by the enemy? I can't help but think of what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13. He knew he knew what it was to store up treasure in heaven. He knew of some jewels that can never be touched. 1 Corinthians 13 is the famous love chapter. But he concludes it by saying, when I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Would you look here for a moment? Some of you tonight need to put away childish things. By the way, if your treasure is your car, you're still a child. If your treasure is your house, you're still a child. If your treasure is your bank account, your uh, the, the suffix or prefix on your name, your titles, your accomplishments because of university, you're still a child. Put it away. If your bank account is your treasure, you're still a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know even as I am known. And now abideth. Now watch this. Now remaineth. It can't be stolen, can't be lost, can't be watered down, can't be stolen. Now abideth faith, hope, charity. These three. When Paul had been shipwrecked, when he had had the skin stolen off of his back, when he'd had the comfort taken out from underneath them of his friends and families, when he'd been forsaken by everybody, even when he was dying, everyone forsook him, he had nobody left. When all was stolen from him, he still had these three things. Faith, hope, love. Faith is based upon what we know to be true about the word of God. And if you remember, we've been looking at this on Sundays. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Because of what we believe to be true about the word of God, we now have reason to hope. Our faith causes us to hope. Faith doesn't fail. Hope doesn't fail. And love never fails. These three things, you can be the poorest man on the planet. Your health can be failing. You can be dying and yet still have faith, still have hope, still have love. They remain. They abide. I'll give you one more scripture and we'll close. Hebrews chapter 12. The author of Hebrews speaks about the end of all things. And he tells us in chapter 12 and verse number, just a couple of verses. Verse 25. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escaped not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. Here's what he's saying. God is speaking to you tonight. So listen. 
whose voice then shook the earth. But now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more, I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken. Are you listening? The removing of those things that are shaking, the thieving, you could say, the robbing of the things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. I'm telling you, Lord, you look here, there's coming a shaking which will take away, will rob you of everything except those things which cannot be shaken. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. There are some things that cannot be shaken, some things that cannot be stolen. Faith, hope, love, your walk with Jesus Christ, souls that you've rescued from, from the pits of hell. Jude speaks about of some saved with compassion, others with fear. Rescuing of souls. He that winneth souls is wise. These are the things that ought to be where your treasure lies. Not your job, not your bank account, not your possessions. But those things which are eternal. I wonder where is your treasure tonight? Let's pray together. Father, we thank thee for thy word and for the words of our Savior. And we pray that this evening we might do a real close inventory of our own storehouses. We might stop this evening and check to see where we have been storing up treasure and what we have been storing up. And maybe this evening, if it be necessary, do a bit of emptying. Help us, Father, to recognize those things which are most important. Those things which cannot be stolen and cannot be shaken. Please, Lord, enable us to live lives that are eternally meaningful. Not just meaningful for a moment or two, but eternally meaningful. We pray, Lord, that we might love Thee more passionately, more fully, Lord, more completely. That we may not divide our affection, that it might be holy and entirely given unto Thee, that our eye may be single, Lord. Help us, we pray. Bless my brothers and sisters. Help us all with this, we ask in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.